And simultaneously, if we could be praying for the volunteers of those elementary kids right now, <laughs> that'd be awesome. If you guys could too, if you guys could scoot in towards the middle, if there were kids that exited your row so that we can open up some spots on the outside for some people that might be looking for seats um, around us. I know it's crowded and there's a few folks kind of been standing to help out. So plenty of room up here on the front row. <laughs> Ooh, could we turn off this, turn down the spots just a tad? Thank you. Well, I would venture to guess that most of us have some scars on our body. Uh, each of them have a story, and some of those stories might be glamorous or heroic, but most are probably more of the klutzy variety, I would imagine. Um, I don't have a whole lot of scars on my body. I have uh, just a very small one on my right knee. And uh, when I was 15, I was going out for a run, shocker, and um, I decided that I was going to hurdle the neighbor's real estate sign that was in their yard. So I'm running along the sidewalk, I veer over into the yard, and having no clue how to hurdle anything, um, in my inexperience, I hit my trail leg on the metal frame of the sign, and I was like, no harm done, I'm good, you know? And I'm running along, and I look down, and blood is just rushing down my shin <laughs> into my shoe. And, um, yeah, obviously, you know, the first thing you do is look around, right? Who saw me? Um, but 38 years later, that little gash um, is still on my knee. It's a constant reminder of that dumb decision. All right, you're a distance runner, Bob. Like, stay in your lane, man, okay? <laughs> We're going to get back to scars in a moment. But for the past couple of months, we've been navigating a series based on a verse from 1 Peter 4 that reminds us that love covers over a multitude of sins. And we've talked about how our love for one another can provide this kind of sheltering protection for all who are struggling in their actions and thoughts, reeling from the pain in our life that causes us to act in ways that compromise the person that we all want to be. By extending grace and forgiveness, our love can help provide and give one another strength to navigate those moments, knowing that we're loved by God and by our community. And the ultimate imagery of love covering over a multitude of sins is found at the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. Jesus' crucifixion forgave our sins, past, present, and future, and his resurrection gives us hope that those broken moments in our lives aren't the end of our story. So today being Easter Sunday, our attention turns to the empty tomb. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. In the Pew Bibles, it's page 1506. <clears throat> 1506, Luke 24, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> We're just going to recount the story a little bit here. On the first day of the week, which for Jews was Sunday, their Sabbath was Saturday... Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. What's funny is if you look back through the Gospels, Jesus said that again and again and again. He told them exactly what was going to happen, <laughs> right? And still so many people were, were surprised. And I've said it many times before that this moment, the morning of the empty tomb and the resurrection is the most important moment in the history of mankind. Everything in scripture hinges on Jesus's bodily resurrection from the dead. It proved his deity. It completed a promise no other human could ever keep while opening a way for each of us to be raised from the dead and made like him for eternity. History hinges on this moment. But today I want to dwell on the reality that the empty tomb was really only the beginning. The story doesn't end there. Over the course of the next 40 days, Scripture tells us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people who were witnesses to his bodily resurrection. But it's how he returned to us and the way that he engaged relationships that I want to explore today. Because when you think about it, there's a, a number of forms that Jesus could have taken when he returned to earth. This triumphant conqueror of death in the grave could have chosen to kind of upgrade himself a little bit to look something more in the line of superhuman, uh, a larger-than-life persona that would have communicated his supremacy and fulfilling his mission to redeem the world. And as I was writing this the other day, I was thinking of little kids that wear those Captain America Halloween costumes that have the fake, like, pecs and abs. You know, they kind of push on them. They're kind of puffy, right? It's, it's almost like Jesus, like, oh, he could have come back, like, all jacked, you know, and just shown what a, what a boss he was. <laughs> and we do know that his body was different, right, because he'd been glorified. And to be honest, the body that came down from the cross and was buried was so beaten and bloody that scripture tells us that, that he was unrecognizable. That's not how he appeared after the resurrection. And we actually know that he was, he was unrecognized on a couple of different occasions by people who had spent every day with him the last three years. In one of the gospels, it, it says that Mary Magdalene, when she goes to the tomb, she thought he was the gardener. So I don't know if he's in overalls or what he's got on, right? <laughs> Another scene that John describes, the, the, some of the disciples are fishing in a boat off the shore, and Jesus is standing there, and it says they didn't recognize him until he spoke. And they're like, oh, wait a minute, that's, that's Jesus' voice. So he was somehow different in appearance. But here's the interesting thing about how Jesus chose to show himself. His wounds and his scars remained. His otherwise perfectly healed body still bore 
the signs of his execution. The pierced hands and feet in the hole in his side where they shoved a spear up into his heart. In fact, his wounds were the first things that he showed to his disciples. Let me just read for you in John 20 real quickly, a couple verses, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked out of fear for the Jewish leaders, so this is post-resurrection, the disciples are hiding out, Jesus came and stood among them, so like hyperspace, like, poof, here I am. Peace be with you, he says. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Makoto Fujimura is an artist. He wrote this about his wounds. He said, what is remarkable is that the wounds of Christ represent Jesus' decision to stay human after the resurrection. God chooses to keep the wounds and therefore be fully human, fully alive in his wounds after the full suffering as a human. The scars seem like a defect, like somebody in the resurrection body factory uh, missed that in the touch-up. Uh, they didn't airbrush those out like they were supposed to. But this certainly seems intentional, an intentional choice. So what do the scars tell us? We're going to look at a few different things this morning. First, the scars uh, help establish Jesus' identity. He was still human. It was the same body, but now glorified. He could pass through doors and walls now. He ate solid food. I want you to, if you're still in Luke 24, can pop that back open real quick. I want to just take a look at a couple of verses here. 24, starting in verse 36. It says, while they were talking, still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So what's Jesus up to here in this scene? What is he, what is he trying to prove or establish? Yeah. I think I actually look at it as one of the reasons he eats the piece of fish is it shows that this is a real body. I just ate food with these disciples. Yeah, yeah, he's proving that hey, this is a real body, right? I'm, I'm eating food just like all of you guys. Yeah, I need nourishment. Yeah, anything else? I, yeah, Phil. Yeah, yeah, he said that just, there was such a, a ritual around eating meals together 
and, and communing together, that he's, he's, he's reestablishing the ritual of, of community and breaking bread and the importance of, of doing that together, right? He's saying, guys, yeah, I might look a little bit different, but I'm not a ghost, right? This is me, and I've got the, the scars to prove it, to put all kind of doubt to end. He's removing any doubt that he returned fully human. The Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, which literally means to stand again. Same body, and the wounds verify it. He's also giving them a glimpse of a resurrected body, something we'll all have one day. If we believe in Jesus and follow him, this is what we'll look like. And I love this, this quote I came across this week. It says, the resurrection does not annihilate the old creation. It reconfigures it. Jesus knew what proof Thomas and others like him would need. And so he graciously came back in a way that answered our greatest doubts. I love this, this painting by Caravaggio in 1601 called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It means his unwillingness or unable to believe something. And I love it because Jesus' left hand is on Thomas's arm, like leading him towards the wound and allowing him to touch it, not shaming him because he needed some proof but opening himself up to him. So his scars establish his identity. And secondly, his healed wounds tell us of his final victory. St. Thomas Aquinas said it like this. He kept his scars not from the inability to heal them, but to wear them as an everlasting trophy of his victory. It's like having a, a tattoo of the Lombardi trophy on your arm after you win the Super Bowl, right? Forever immortalizing your victory. Charles Spurgeon, the famous pastor, said this, through his wounds the Lord can say, here is what the world did to me and yet I live. Here is the cost of your redemption and the lavishness of my love. And that victory is now ours. The Apostle John wrote this in John 1, 5, 4. He said, and everyone born of God overcomes the world. So we are all overcomers through Jesus' victory on the cross because we have Christ inside of us. Paul says we are more than conquerors. So thirdly, Jesus returned with scars so that when he pleads for us before the Father, he may always show the manner of death that he endured. It's as if he's saying, see how I love them, Father. Hebrews 7 paints this picture for us. In Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, it says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus lives to pray before the Father on our behalf. 
Isn't that beautiful? Can you picture him praying for you with nail-pierced hands? His name, your name, I'm sorry, your name on his lips. Can you imagine that? It's a constant reminder of the depth of his love for us. Fourthly, Jesus returned with scars as a reminder to those who would reject his love of the price he paid to set them free. On the day when we all stand before him, in the words of Charles Pope, he will be able to say, I endured suffering from you and out of love for you. When I was on the cross, the soldier pierced my side. My heart was literally opened up for you, and still you would not enter. What more could I have done? Still you refused. And finally, and maybe most personally compelling, is that Jesus returned with scars to, shows, to show that he knows our pain. He knows the weight of the wounds that we carry inside and out. I would venture to guess that all of us have more wounds on the inside than we do on the outside. Scars from a life of pain that we all experience. As I heard on a devotional this week, only Christianity gives us a God with scars. The Latin word for vulnerable comes from vulness, which means wound. You see, God meets us in his own vulnerability, and he enters into ours with empathy, with wounds and scars. No other religious leader in the world that somebody could trot out for one conquered death and secondly comes to us in humility and vulnerability from the cradle to the grave and beyond the grave our savior jesus was vulnerable every step of the way which means what for us i want you to turn in your bibles over to hebrews chapter 4 it's page 1707 Page 1707, Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hmm. Guys, when we pray, we come before the wounded and scarred one who knows the depth of our pain and has compassion for our struggles. And so we come knowing we will receive mercy and find grace to help us. What a treasure is our wounded Savior. Psalm 147.3 reminds us of this. He heals the brokenhearted 
and he binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Once we look on the wounded and scarred, resurrected body of Christ, we reach our fingers to touch his hands and side. The tables get turned. And now Jesus is reaching out to our wounds to heal and restore our broken humanity. Guys, it's a tender and vulnerable and humble Savior who is rich in mercy and, uh, rich in mercy and grace, who moves towards our places of greatest pain and shame and guilt. With love in his eyes, he reminds us that his surrender on the cross paid the price for our sin. He's aware of our sin. He's not repulsed by it, not surprised by it. In fact, our suffering draws him closer because it confirms what he already knew, that every one of us desperately needed a savior. And in his redemptive work, if we allow him to, Jesus takes our wounds and scars, the markers of our collective pain, and he reconfigures it. And our healed places, listen to this, our healed places become the gateway to our greatest ministry. Resurrecting what was dead and debilitating in us and using it to bring life to the world around us. Guys, that's the power of the Easter message, that the story isn't over, that the, the very things that the devil intended to use in your life to destroy you have now become our victory and our opportunity to bring glory to Christ. Hallelujah. I, I want to open this up. I'm going to ask a pretty vulnerable question. I just want to ask if anybody would have an example of how God has, has done something like that in your life, has taken something that the enemy tries to use, tried to use to destroy you in some way, that he has reconfigured that and resurrected it, and now that's become the gateway to a ministry opportunity that he's used in your life. Does anybody have any examples of how God has done that for them? Randy, you want to say it, don't you? <laughs> Go ahead, man. I can put it to you like this. I've spent many years in a penitentiary for things that I did that was involved in my sinful nature. Talk a little bit louder, Randy. Right. <clears throat> Speak up. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> time I left the penitentiary, I said I never wanted to go back to a place like that ever again. And on my knees in prayer, I was freed from that penitentiary. And my God has a sense of humor, and he laughed. He said, if you do what I want you to do, you're going back to the penitentiary, mm. and you're going to save many men. And this has became true in my life. I've been able to go into state penitentiaries throughout um, a few different states and um, 
carry the message of hope and the promise of freedom that I live every day in my life. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate it. Anybody else? Yeah, Melissa. Yeah, she's saying just she's had kind of a, a broken and fractured family relationship and being a part of this church has kind of become family for her and allowed her then to bring uh, some of her, was it a nephew? Yeah, with her to church and experience that. That's awesome. Anybody else? A pain in your life that God has then used to be a gateway to ministry that you've had. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I've shared uh, with you guys a lot over the course of the years, just the, the pain of kind of growing up um, in a divorced home um, with a father that uh, really didn't engage in my life a whole lot, never showed up at my stuff or really affirmed me, um, and just kind of the wound that that's been in my life for a long time. Um, that thankfully God the Father filled, but it's, it's, it's been um, not only my greatest kind of pain and struggle, but I mean, it's opened up so many opportunities for me to speak to kids as I did youth ministry for a long time in young life and have coached. Um, I'm always drawn and connected to those kids that have broken homes and fathers that aren't engaged in their life or, or maybe are engaged in just really unhealthy ways. And I've, I've got a platform just like Randy does and, you know, all the people that shared in here this morning to, to speak into that reality because I've, I've allowed God to come and heal that. And he can take and heal. When we allow ourselves to be healed in healthy ways, God can use it in healthy ways, right? If we're, if we're broken and that pain still hasn't been resolved and, and really mended by Christ in healthy ways, sometimes the ministry that we do isn't always super healthy, so I want to give a caution to the wise there. But um, man, when we really lean into that process, God can do beautiful things with the things that we think are maybe the worst things that have happened to us in life. I want to close this morning by reading an excerpt from a New York Times editorial entitled, Why is Jesus Still Wounded After His Resurrection? And in the article, the, the author quotes a Japanese artist that we mentioned earlier, the artist Mikado Fujimura, who is the author of this recent book called Art and Faith, A Theology of Making. He writes about the Japanese tradition of kintsugi. 
Kintsugi is the art of repairing broken pottery pieces with lacquer dusted with gold. A Kintsugi master will take the broken work and create a restored piece that makes the broken parts even more visually sophisticated, according to Mr. Fujimura. No two works done with such mastery will look the same or break the same way. It is built on the idea that in embracing flaws and imperfections, you can create a more beautiful and more valuable piece of art. Applying that concept to theology or the the study of God, Mr. Fujimura makes this point. It's through our brokenness that God's grace can shine through. As in the gold that fills fissures and kintsugi, Jesus came not to fix us and not to just restore us, but to make us something new. Guys, I, I would encourage you. I, I did this. I went and watched a, like a five-minute YouTube video about kintsugi. And there was this Japanese artist that's been doing it for like 30 years, and he was explaining the process of how they do this. And y'all, it was the gospel. <laughs> what they do is they, they go to just certain trees that are only indigenous in Japan, and they cut the tree off, and they take the sap from the tree, and that's what they make the lacquer with. And he described it as um, that, that basically it's like taking the blood from the tree so that the tree actually basically gives its life for this work, this healing work. And I'm like, Jesus, all right? (laughs) And they take this sap and they begin to get all the broken pieces of this pottery together and they use it um, as a kind of like a glue. And then once they've kind of got the pieces back together, the process isn't done. Then they put it um, in this closet Um, to to keep it dry, and it takes about three months for it to harden and dry before they can put the gold, um, decorative gold, into the fissures and create the end product. But it's just such a reminder of the process, right? God takes the broken pieces of our life, and he begins to glue them back together. But it takes time for that healing process to happen. But on the other end, if we can patiently stay in the process, even though like those beautiful things are like hidden away in a closet for a while, you can't even see what's really going on. The way that that God is knitting that thing back together in your life. But then it comes out and he begins to, to put gold on it and make that broken thing becomes more valuable because of the gold that's been added to it than that pottery was when it was first created. That's the redemptive process. That's the story of Easter. Guys, the story of Easter is that our wounds will not be left behind, but will be made more beautiful, resurrected, and repurposed for all of eternity. So do you know the scarred and wounded Savior, the one who came for you, the one who died for you, the one who conquered death for you and is coming back for you? Are you allowing him to heal you in the broken places, to resurrect your story and repurpose your life for his glory? Guys, it begins with surrender. 
It begins with acknowledging what he already knows, that our life is broken. And no matter how much you would try to take a bunch of broken pieces of pottery without the lacquer, right, without the blood from the tree, you, you can't put that thing back together. Only the blood of Christ can put your life back together. Only his power can heal you. And so it begins with that surrender of just saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I come to you. I trust you as the ultimate master of recreation to take my life and to do something beautiful with it that I can't even imagine what it would look like. And then, God, I, I, I want to believe also that then you might take my life and then you might use it to be a blessing to somebody else. Right, because that's what it's all about, that then we get to one day be ministers of reconciliation to the rest of the world, ambassadors of his good work in our life. Guys, if you don't know that, Jesus, if you haven't surrendered to that process in your life, I just want to invite you this morning when all of this is done and after I pray, just come up and talk to me. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Don't let another day go by. <laughs> in your broken state, let's allow the healer to come in and begin reworking and remolding, making you into the creation that he knows you can be with his involvement in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time this morning. Thank you so much for how you chose to come back, wounded and scarred, as a constant reminder of the price you paid for us and the love that you have for each person in this world. And God, I just love that, that image of you praying for each person in here day after day after day before the Father, praying for our hearts with nail-pierced hands and feet and side. And God, thank you for the wounds and the scars in our life that gives up, give us the opportunity to be put back together and repurposed in a more valuable way than we could ever imagine. God, I pray that our healed wounds would be the gateways to our greatest ministry in life. God, start a work in somebody's heart today. If there's somebody in this room that is, has never really surrendered to you, I pray that you would do it today. Draw them to you. Begin that work in their life of regeneration and renewal, resurrecting what was dead and making it alive again. God, we love you. We are so humbled to come and worship you today, to give you all the glory for all the things that you've done in us and the ways that you have redeemed our stories for good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing and close the day?